I was on retreat last week, uh, so I wasn't here. And I was thinking about retreats, not just necessarily the full-on going away on residential retreats. Has anyone here been on residential retreat? I know you have. You haven't. Okay. It's, um, it's really helpful for uh, really looking at the mind and quieting the mind. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, which is the Buddha's teaching on mindfulness practice, you know, mindfulness of breath and body, which we do practically every, every sit. Um, and then he moves through recognition of whether our experience is pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, and then moving into an awareness of emotions and an awareness of, of everything, of dhamma, of, of, of hindrances that are present or um, lack of suffering, just really being aware of whatever is going on. And it's a beautiful... Um, logical step, step, step way to go through um, an open, an increasing awareness to just this open awareness. But you can hang out with the breath for 50 years and be fine. What do you mean by lack of suffering? But when you realize you're not, you're not suffering. Yeah, uh, which is what you want to accomplish. Yeah, right? that's where okay. you want to get to because the Buddha said that this, you know, there's the dissatisfactory nature of life. There is pain. You know, there's loss. There's that. That reality, but that extra level of suffering that we add ourselves, that craving, that need to get something done, or the aversion to what is, like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. And that's just, that's just intensifying the experience that's unpleasant. If, you, if something's unpleasant and your reaction to it is like to fight it, you're intensifying it. If you think about hitting your elbow on a, on a, on a, on a dresser or a table, or your toe. The immediate response is to, you know, constrict against it. But if you actually let go of that constriction and just experience the, uh, the pain that's there, it's a very different experience. But when you fight against it, you intensify it. And that's true with all of our emotions. These unpleasant emotions that we have, like pain or, or fear or sadness, that is like, no, because a lot of us have been culturally taught it's not okay to feel angry. It's not okay to feel grief. You've got three days and then it's over. Yeah. You know, by this time, okay, funeral's done. Get back to your life. Those types of messages that we receive, which are diametrically opposed to our actual experience. And so we're in this constant state of, um, uh, what's the word I want to think of? The constant state of, uh, antagonism of the reality and our experience, you know, or what we think we should be feeling versus what we are feeling. And so there's this, this fighting against the, the reality of our experience, which intensifies it. So if you are able to quiet the mind and get to a place where you see this is really painful and let go of any fighting against it, but come to a place of feeling it and being with it, you're not creating that extra level of suffering. You're able to be with whatever's present, the discomfort of, the discomfort of happiness, because sometimes that happens, you know? It's like, I can't stand being happy. You know, we, we, we have these cultural, um, we have these conditioned experiences that 
can't, can't, you know, can't figure out why. You ever go, I don't know why I'm feeling this way, but I am. You know, I don't know why I'm reacting this way, but I am. It's this deep conditioning that we have. So I was talking about retreat, and I, and I posted on social media today about, and I did it on Thursday, too, when I taught. I, I want to, it's, it's the solstice today, the winter solstice, which I love. I love the dark. I love the cold. <laughs> Not everybody feels that way, <laughs> you being one of them, I think. <laughs> but then I also get sad because starting tomorrow, the days are going to get longer. I mean, by like 14 seconds, but you know, it'll take a while. But um, still, it's, uh, it's, for me, this particular time of the year is like a drawing in, a, a draw, like a, a, a drawing back a time of reflection. That's what this flavor is for me. And that's why I seem to go on retreat in November, October, November, December. It just is a really nourishing time of year for me. And retreat is when you really have an opportunity to quiet the mind. But retreat's not available to everyone all the time. I mean, there are economic um, uh, realities that some people just don't have the means, and not all retreats are uh, free of charge. There's a, oftentimes an, a fee associated with it, but I was up at Insight Retreat Center in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and that's a Donna-only retreat center. So that's accessible to anyone, anybody who can get there. It's Donna-only. Um, so uh, I could have walked away without giving them a dime if I had wanted to, and it's fine because it's Donna only. So they, there are ways to get to retreats. But thinking about you know, taking care of ourselves and nourishing ourselves, retreats are a way to do that. But there are, you can do that without going on retreat for a long time. I mean, if you're able to step back from the, um, the duties of your day-to-day -day life, and let go of that. It's really helpful. In fact, I looked up their definition of retreat. It means move back, withdraw to a quiet or secluded space. So you can do that without necessarily going somewhere if you take even, or you can come to a half a day or a day long where you are kind of removed from your life and you put your, you put your phone over there and turn it off. And you have the space to really quiet the mind because when you just sit down I, it's probably can be very challenging when you just come to a meditation class but even this is an opportunity to retreat just for an hour um, when you sit at home it's that time you're taking for yourself you're giving yourself a little retreat you're taking that time to nourish yourself in this way to um, quiet the mind to slow down, to begin to see the habits of the mind, the patterns of the mind, and connect with maybe what's underneath. Especially if you can sit consistently um, for a decent amount of time, half hour, 40 minutes, on a regular basis, you can start really getting to a place of experiencing what's underneath that chatter. And it's really uh, what's underneath the chatter is what the essence of what's going on is because our minds are constantly creating scenarios, creating um, uh, ideas about what is, what's really happening, what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen yesterday, what's going to happen, what did happen yesterday. Um, it's it's uh, constantly going. I'm, I'm 
I'm assuming, I shouldn't assume, are you, you, you all feeling that that's kind of true <laughs> to a certain extent? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, I'm not saying it's constantly on a hyperdrive, but there, there's, it's, there's, what is it I heard a person say the other day? She said, if you see me talking to myself, it's because I'm having a staff meeting. Because <laughs> she's talking to the, the committee in her head. I like that. It's like, yeah, that's, that's like, that's true. I'm talking to people who aren't there. Um, but stepping back is a way we begin to care for ourselves. And Ruth King, this incredibly wise teacher who wrote this book I have with me, Mindful of Race, she says, um, we cultivate a culture of care. And to cultivate a culture of care is to be in relationship with humanity with a wise heart. And when we take this time to care for ourselves by retreating from our day-to-day um, goings-on, we begin to cultivate that care. Uh, Gil Fransdahl was one of the teachers on this retreat I was on last week, and he was talking about these, this practice, this mindfulness practice, this really this cultivation of clearly seeing the nature of existence, seeing the Four Noble Truths, that the suffering is because we cling um, that things are impermanent, things are always changing, that there is discomfort, unsatisfactoriness to our existence. Nothing out there is going to bring us lasting happiness. Um, and that there's, it's, it's, we're conditioned beings. There's, there's all these causes and conditions that have us end up where we are. So to see that clearly and to be able to disentangle from this deeply conditioned ideas and worldviews that we have, self-view, worldview, all these views, when we can start chipping away at those, there's a, um, uh, we get to this place of care, this place of care for ourselves and care for others and care for ourselves and others. And this is what the Buddha was teaching. Um, this we get rid of this worrying about getting ours and having all our needs met and making sure you do what you're supposed to do so that I'm okay and that I get the prizes that I want. This is one of those times of year. I mean, Christmas is this week, Hanukkah is this week. I mean, it's, it's a very, um, it's a time of year that can be incredibly painful for people. There's family stuff. There's, um, you know, I used to look to Christmas to fix me. I, you, whatever, I don't know what I want, but you have to give me a gift, and that gift is going to be it. And read my mind, although that's not going to get you anywhere because I really don't know, but please fix me. That was a lot of how, I didn't know that consciously, but I felt that. It was like yearning, 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 yearning. And we live in a society that sets it up, you know. I don't know why all the razor blade commercials happen around this, the electric razor commercials. It's like, oh, it must be Christmas, there's electric razor commercials. But, you know, they tell us what will bring us joy and what will bring us happiness. And then there's all the family stuff, you know, the, the, the Norman Rockwell paintings of what families are supposed to be like. And I don't know a lot of families that aren't, have, don't have some kind of dysfunction. Not that they're falling apart, but that there's, you know, there's headbutting and discomfort and and can be challenging. So to really, especially around this time of year, to cultivate mindfulness is so important. To be able to pause, be 
able to pause and see when something is unpleasant or is starting to get us into a place of reactivity. And when we're able to pause, then we can go, oh, my head's telling me this, but maybe I'll do something different. Maybe I'll act with a little more wisdom. Maybe I'll sit with these emotions that are coming up instead of just acting from them, instead of just taking them on. You know, the, it happens so often I hear and, and um, when people visit their, their families or that you immediately go back to who you were, like you become the 17-year-old again, or, and all of a sudden you're in that dance. I see it with my family. Um, that the, the dance of the, the siblings begins. And I, I'm, it's like my sister and my niece, so I'm kind of watching it from a distance, but I watch this dance. And it's like, it's interesting that it just fall, people just fall into it. It's like that same old thing over and over again. Do you ever have, get into an argument with someone and you almost say, I don't even have to finish this conversation because I know where it's going to end because we've had it 150,000 times before. It's that habitual pattern that we're locked into. And when we really take the time to cultivate a quieter mind so that we can see more clearly what's going on below the surface, we can respond in a different way in a way that doesn't perpetuate this habitual pattern, this habitual harming. Because a lot of times it's just uh, just low-level smacking somebody in the face. And I don't even mean physically, I just mean however. Um, just to pay attention and to not, not come from a place of causing harm. Sometimes we just have to absent ourselves altogether if it's not a wise place to be for ourselves. But we just, to, it's really, important to to have that clarity of, of uh, insight and in order to do that you need to practice you need to make the effort to retreat in some way shape or form from your daily onslaught of life um, devices nowadays um, media that's coming at you 24-7, or can come at you 24-7. And if there were more hours in a day, it would come at you even more hours in a day. So you have to be willing to take the time, because that's self-care. Even if it's just coming to a class and sitting for half an hour, 40 minutes, if it's going to a half a day retreat or a day long, or if you have the option and means to get to a, a residential retreat, it's really helpful because so much of what you do comes with you. It's not that you're in that place of really being at ease all the time because life starts happening again and you get into it, but you have this, this um, cellular recollection of, oh, I can actually back away. I can actually back away. And perhaps you've been able to connect with what those emotions feel like in the body. You've reconnected uh, on a visceral level with what's happening, what's arising. Um, I, uh, oh yeah, let me read this one piece that Ruth talks about in here about retreat. And this is when you, a residential retreat, but it's also, um, you get bits of this 
when you really commit to your practice, commit to taking care of yourself. Within a 10-day retreat structure, through periods of silence, sitting, and walking meditation, we are supported in slowing down and noticing the workings of our heart and mind. We begin to see more clearly the nature of the mind, and we experience more inner stability, confidence, and well-being. With practice, we begin to notice increasing moments of release from distress and how freedom is not a destination outside of our own mental creation. An insight meditation retreat fuels moral reflection. It strengthens our capacity to examine personal and cultural habits of mind and what it is like to release them. It reveals a gradual and natural unveiling of the truth of suffering and it further supports us in cultivating a heart we can learn to trust and rest in. Knowing these experiences directly is restorative and brings balance to our lives. So that's quite a, a promise. But it's been my experience that when you quiet the mind, you are able to connect with those inner experiences and see those cultural and personal habits of mind that don't necessarily serve, that keep that cycle of suffering going, that cycle of samsara. So I want to just share my experience on my most recent retreat, which was extraordinary for me because it really, really showed me how powerful this teaching is when you're able to really um, let go. I was going um, a week, two weeks ago Sunday, so tomorrow, two weeks ago tomorrow. And it was up in the Santa Cruz Mountains, the Insight Retreat Centers in the Santa Cruz Mountains in the Redwoods. It's beautiful. And I was going to take off around 9.30 in the morning. And I got up around 6. I was going to pack and everything. And I noticed my, one of my cats was peeing blood. And that's for a boy cat that's really dangerous because it could be a blockage, which is like fatal. So I took him right into the emergency um, pet hospital, luckily not too far away. And the good news is it wasn't a blockage, but they weren't quite sure what it was. And, you know, it's, it was not, it didn't look good. And so I came home with all these meds and I gave them to my husband and I said, here's the meds, here's the cat. And then I went on retreat. And there's no phone, there's no, there's no communication. You're totally incommunicado, and then you go into silence. And so I'm in noble silence, and it's just me in my head. And my head running rampant with, is the cat going to die? Should I have done this? Should I have done that? Should I do this? Should I phone? You know, because I, I could have texted him, texted him at some point because they did tests, which we wouldn't get the results for a couple of days, but I could have texted, is he still alive? Is he still alive? Is he still alive? And so for about a day and a half, that's what was running through my mind. And you're just, it's, you're in meditation, you're in practice all the time. I mean, there, there are breaks, obviously, in your sleep, and, you know, meals and such, but for the most of the majority of the time, you're practicing. You're sitting, you're walking, you're sitting, you're walking. And I had to let go, let go, let go, let go. Come back, come back. Because every time I was in that, I was nowhere near where I was. I was nowhere near Santa Cruz. I was down here. 
And it's come back, come back, come back, come back. And it was about a day and a half into it when I was finally able to not be so caught up in that thinking. And to really, I knew what to do was to let go of that and come down into what was going on underneath to connect with the feelings that were happening. Oh, there's some fear. There was some intense hard, hard sensations in the body that I actually couldn't name, but I think fear was part of it. Fear was part of it, you know. And then, then a couple of days later, I recognized there was some grieving in there. And to really make the effort to stay below the story. And that's what happens when you practice. I was able to calm the mind enough that I could get out of that story about the cat being dead or alive. And, and the worst case scenario, which is where my little catastrophic brain likes to go. And so I was able to drop below. It was always there, but it wasn't preeminent and constant. And as the week wore on, I was able to actually be in this place at the present time, to really um, be in the present time. And when I did get distracted, I was able to find my way back and go, oh, that thought was because of that thought, was because of that thought, was because of that thought. There was a real mindfulness. So I don't know if you do it, but a lot of times when I'm just walking around and my head goes, whee, I have no clue how I got from A to B. So there's the mind has slowed down enough that you can even see where, oh, A led to B, led to C, led to D, and then I was aware that I wasn't present. And I came back to this open awareness. So this mindfulness practice, when you bring the effort to it, it works. It was a difficult retreat because there was that, that those sensations I was experiencing were unpleasant. There was the, the sadness, the grief, the fear. That was always there. But where I was able to shift somewhere in the middle to a real caring, a real caring for. And it wasn't just this, this grief or fear for now. It was a really deep one. So you're able to see, oh, there's still, there's these emotions that just hang out in here, you know, that are triggered sometimes by some episode that you experience. But to tend, it's the self-care. It's the caring that you get that the Buddha talks about when you really make the effort to be present. When you make the effort to soften and disentangle, what does Ruth say? And you unveil the, the truth of suffering. And so it supports us in cultivating a heart we can learn to trust and rest in. And it's, you know, this, this practice strengthens our capacity to examine personal and cultural habits of mind. These personal habits of mind, this stuff that was deeply embedded, we disentangle and we let go of. And so, and then you, you strengthen the habit of care. You strengthen the habit of compassion and loving kindness by making the effort. And so that, to me, that was a really difficult retreat, but it was really important for me to see that I was able to drop underneath it. Doesn't mean sometimes, I, I remember I, w I was in doubt sometimes too. Doubt's not a hindrance I experience a lot, but it was like in my face, I'm going say, oh, bullshit. You're just uncaring. It's teaching you to be, you know, a, a robot and not caring. And I would go there in my mind. You go, you run the gamut. 
That's the that's what's the beauty of a retreat is of like a week or so you see change. You see impermanence in action because you see how you just go, wow. And you'll have a meeting. You'll have, let's say you have a meeting with a teacher tomorrow, and you go, I'm going to talk about this. And then by the time the next day gets there, you're somewhere else. And it's like, I don't even remember what I was going to talk about. I'm going to talk about this. So that's what this, it's so necessary to nourish ourselves and, and quiet the mind and come back and come back. Um, so even again, as I say, even if you can't do it on a, on a grander scale, on a, on a on a longer residential retreat, I invite you to see how you can bake retreat into your daily lives. Even the even the practice of sitting in the morning for whatever length of time starts move, starts you moving in that direction. It's really important to cultivate that um, that that willingness, that intention to see clearly. Because once you see clearly what you're doing, it's easier to let go. Once you see how you're trapped or in a trance, what's her face, Tara Brock talks about being entranced all the time. Once you're able to see how you're entranced by whatever shiny things there are, and they're all different, they all look different for each of us. And you can have a little bit more spaciousness and a little bit more letting go. So, I can't, I can't, um, I can't recommend retreat, whatever it looks like, enough. So, love to hear. Uh, that's those are my thoughts on on taking care of yourself in this way. So, love to hear any thoughts, uh, questions, comments, and how you think you might take care of yourself moving forward. You know, New Year's is uh, in a week and a half, and you know what we do at New Year's? We set intentions sometimes. I'm not going to say resolutions. So, so thoughts? How do, you, uh, how do you take care of yourself, or how do you not take care of yourself?